Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Vault Podcast, classic music reviews, presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and the crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Vault Podcast, classic music reviews, presented by IV Creative. It's a perspective of the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective you could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and we want to thank all the listeners out there stateside and worldwide for continuing to support the show. Guys, we thank you all for being patient with us over these last few weeks. As we say many times, life be lifing, and definitely over these last few weeks, life has definitely caught up with me. I've had to take some time to really collect myself. Schedule's been crazy. Those of y'all know, of course, me and my wife are raising our first son. He just turned six months old. So there's a lot going on right now within the confines of the creator of the vault. But I want to thank you all for continuing to support us and also continuing to spread the word out there. Thank you all for always supporting us and for getting the word out there. As a reminder, you can always go to vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com for everything on the latest on the podcast and news that we have coming up. Of course, you can go and listen to all of our past episodes and also our featured episodes and check out our guest profiles for those who have been guests on the vault in our past. You can also go to our merchandise store. Fall's coming up, guys. Make sure you get those hoodies, those tumblers, those sweaters, those coffee mugs, those cocoa mugs, things that can keep you nice and warm as the fall is coming up. So make sure you bundle up and go to vaultclassicpod.com in the store for merchandise to keep you guys warm in the fall as we go from fall and then hopefully then later on into winter. As we always say here on The Vault, our motto is hashtag open the vault or hashtag MBTC or nothing but the classics. And today we have a bonus episode. And as we're heading into September, we're going towards a very, very important date in hip hop history because of the release that came out on this record release Tuesday. I did a episode last year on record release Tuesday about how it was a great thing to behold when we had a record release Tuesdays and what the record store and also the stores would look like when those new albums came out and everybody rushed for the highly anticipated ones and how the lines would be long and being able to get that product and rip off the packaging and get it and put that CD or that tape in and get that first listen. Well, we had one of those days and this truly was a day to behold in hip hop history where at the end of September of 1998, 25 years ago, we had a very rare day where I don't think that we'll see something like this of albums of this magnitude probably for quite some time. Last year, we did an episode on, I believe it was September 13th, 1997, probably one of the best R&B release dates of the 1990s, if not the 1990s, where Mariah Carey's Butterfly, Usher's My Way, John B's Cool Relax, and the Soul Food soundtrack, how that was an epic release day. Well, we have another one that we're going to talk about today. And we're talking about none other than September 29th, 1998. And <laughs> let me tell you, leading up as sort of a build up to this story, how we knew this was going to be epic, even back then. And we always like to have 
looking back in hindsight here on this show, that's the reason why we do. We let the classics breathe. We let time pass before we assess music and potential classic music. And when we approach this date back then, and I was in high school, as many of you know, this is how I know we were probably on the verge of something special. So I'm in high school. And as we're coming back from summer break, and you meet up with your friends during that first week in September. You get acclimated with everyone, the friends that you don't see, that don't live in your neighborhood, that you don't have contact with during the summer. Mind you, this back then, we had contacts with people through the phone, and then you would see them out in person sometimes. But most of the times, though, we really didn't have email addresses back then. We were in high school. We also didn't have instant messenger, and we weren't utilizing it that heavily. And also, we definitely didn't have cell phones and text messaging. So when you saw your friends coming back from the summer break, it's like literally you hadn't seen them. It felt like in forever. So when you got back to school, it was sort of like this reacclimation, meeting up with your friends and catching up to see how the summer went, find out what they did. And also the thing about the school year, what's going on. So I met up with all of my group of friends, found out, of course, where my lunch period was and everything during the day. So I could find out who I was sitting with. And ironically, this 11th grade year that I was going into became the crew of people that formed exactly what this podcast was about. The reason why I started this pod in the first place and what served as the inspiration, it was my core group of friends that we sat with at lunch all year long and talked about stuff, hip hop, sports, joning on each other and joking on each other, all those type of things, girls, everything that you can think about. But at the core of it was sports and definitely about hip hop music and sometimes R&B music as well. As I'm going through school those first couple of weeks and getting acclimated to my courses and where my classes were during that time, I remember seeing my boy Carl, probably I would say that second week and we're catching up with each other because we didn't see each other much the first week. We catch up with each other, dap each other up, everything like that. He pulls me to the side and says, yo, I know you've been looking at the source this summer. I said, yeah, I have. And he said, yo, I know you've also been on the internet a little bit this summer too. I said, yeah, I have. He said, yo, Blaze just put out an article. And I was like, Blaze, yeah. Blaze just come out with a new issue. This was a new magazine in addition to the source. And Double XL, I think, had started around this time or was on the way of being able of starting around this time, if I'm not mistaken. But he was telling me that Blaze had come out with this issue in this article and also there was evidence in the source. He said, have you seen that release date at the end of September? I want to say it's September 29th. I was like, no, why? He was like, look at the albums that are coming out on September 29th. If you don't know, grab a magazine or go look on the internet. And then tomorrow we're going to talk about it. So I remember that I didn't really have a time to go to the store to look at a magazine stand to see where Blaze or the source or anything else where I could find the release dates. So I went and looked on the internet and typed up what the release dates were for from September 29th, 1998. Well, back then they weren't as easy to find as they are now, but I was able to do it after some searching and I found out, oh, okay, this is the date that Jay-Z's album is coming out. Oh, this is also the date that the Tribe Called Quest album is coming out. Nice. Brand Nubians coming back out. Okay, their album's dropping around this time too. The Most Deaf and Quali album's coming out during this time as well. And to top it off, the Outcast third album, heavily anticipated third album, Aquemni, is coming out on September 29th, 1998 too. So I'm blown away. So blown away that I couldn't keep my mouth shut about it to my parents who could care less about any of those albums right there. And so what I did was I hopped on the phone and called my boy CJ, who lives in my neighborhood, told him about all these albums that were coming out. He was blown away, too. Then I see my boy Carl the next day at school. And I said, yo, all those albums. And he sat there and nodded his head and said, yup, it's going to be a field day. I was like, bro, those are epic albums we're talking about coming out. He was like, but listen, 
how do you know what to cop first, right? I was like, I don't know. It's a really good question. What do you cop first? So I think we were all kind of in the same situation once we all figured out that the albums were coming out on the same exact day. And back then, I mean, some of us had jobs and some of us, you know, had money, a little bit of money. But for the most part, back then, you didn't have really $40, $50 to be spending on music like that, especially when you were 16 years old and in high school. So we did the one thing, of course, that we always do, divide and conquer. You find out eventually after the release date who has what and then work a deal to try to get multiple dubs of the albums that you don't have and then also offer to dub what you have as a fair exchange. I mean, it's the only thing you can really do, right? So that was the plan amongst me and my crew of the fellas. So a wrap up and a recap as far as what was coming out that day. The third Outkast studio album, Aquemni, the debut album of the group named Black Star made up of Mostaf and Talib Kweli, most Def and Talib Kweli are. That was the title of the album. Jay-Z's highly anticipated third studio album, Volume 2, Hard Knock Life. Crazy, crazy build for that throughout the summer. Tribe Called Quest's fifth album and what many of us suspected was probably going to end up being their last album, The Love Movement. And to give us a little bit of a bonus, Brand Nubian, which hadn't had an album with their original crew and all the members together since their 1990 debut, One For All, which included Grand Poobah, Lord Jamar, Sadat X, and DJ Alamo, were dropping their comeback album, Foundation all on the same day so we had a lot of stuff to go through right and think about the emotions about those of us who are hardcore hip-hop fans who are all i would say fans of all these artists to a reasonable degree i mean it really was something to think about like wow this is something that i haven't seen before and don't know if we're ever going to see again and just to go through a little bit about each of the albums and why they were so highly anticipated and what the fallout of it was afterwards, you know, just to give just sort of a history as far as how things were. We were coming up on Outkast's third album, Aquemni. Now, first two albums, 1994's Southern Playlist of Cadillac Music, really blew the door open for, I would say, a portion of the South, but really for Atlanta hip-hop because of what Outkast did for the style of music they did, their originality, for lyricism, for all of those things put together. Funk, soul, everything, all that put together really kicked the door down for Atlanta open things up for Organized Noise as a production trio and also for the rest of the Dungeon family that would follow afterwards that would have successful projects really was something that was critical. 1996 AT Aliens, when we thought that Outkast couldn't elevate the game any further, they came back with their sophomore album, No Slouch, and No Sophomore Slump afterwards made us even more excited with what Outkast had in store. They dropped a really funky album, an album that is still a lot of people, if you talk to Outkast fans, their favorite one out of the duo's catalog. But we wanted to see what Equemni would bring because if they were elevating from where they were, right? And you already had an incredible and a classic album with Southern Playalistic. And you already had an incredible, funky, and even elevated album, which you had with AT Aliens. You could only imagine what Equemni was going to bring to the table. And that's what kept us all really, really highly anticipated Plus, we had heard the single of Rosa Parks leading up to this album. So we kind of had an idea of what the type of funk and soul that Outkast was going to bring on this album. As far as when it came to Most Def and Talib Kweli, well, they were right in the midst of the raucous rush, as I like to call it. <laughs> now, raucous records, as we all know, was an independent label that was started that featured a lot of the underground artists that were a part of that underground rap scene. So many of them were part of the famous lyricist lounge that was in new york city 
A lot of these artists were ones that a lot of, that were champion on the internet, champion on the underground, the freestyle and independent market, on the college radio market. For those who had distinct styles, that distinct styles that those raucous artists had, so many of them out there. In addition to Black Star, you had Company Flow, you had High and Mighty, you had Shabam Sadiq, Sir Menelik, Ari the Rugged Man, so many others that were involved in their projects, including their sound bombing projects and their Lyricist Lounge project, which would also then follow. And then Most Def and Quali sort of came out as these headliners and MVPs of the label, sort of the crown jewel group of the label. And they had already seen success on Rap City from their single Definition, which was burning up on the video charts and had us all excited about their music. And they were also getting ready to release a new single on Respiration featuring Common, which was featured on the album. So you got to think about, for those of us who were big Rockets fans and big underground hip-hop fans that were fans of that style of hip-hop, to be able to see Most Def and Quality come out with the album, we were anticipating that as well. And we wanted to see what they could do for a full album worth of tracks and if they could keep that Rockets tradition going as they were continuing that momentum they had had from 97 heading into 1998 by the time 1998 rolled around jay-z had definitely carved out a space of his own he was emerging from the reasonable doubt era where he introduced himself made himself a player on volume one where he definitely took a step up in the midst of the death of biggie small sort of becoming that new guy from brooklyn to sort of take biggie's place and just sort of i guess assume that mantle of the throne as they say from king of new york Commercially, he took a step up in success as well. That second album, Volume 1, In My Lifetime, definitely had a different sound from Reasonable Doubt, and he had some great cuts on there. But he also had a lot more success as well, I would say, from Reasonable Doubt, because at that point, people knew who Jay-Z was, and he showed even more of his repertoire and his skills. By the time Volume 2 came around, well, we had the benefit of a couple of different singles that came out. There was the Can I Get A? which was featured Emil and also Ja Rule, which is also on that Rush Hour soundtrack, which came out in 1998. And then there was the Hard Knock Life, which we all know was a famous and classic single from Jay-Z, where they got the title of the album from. And we knew that this was going to be the album that could propel Jay-Z from being a star in the superstardom. And this was highly anticipated because we saw some of the guest spots that were featured on here. And we knew like, hey, this might be the place where Jay-Z takes another step and he goes to the next level. Needless to say, by this point, rap was hungry for a superstar in the midst of those deaths we talked about of Biggie and Tupac. And Jay-Z was ready to go ahead and step into that role. And then the love movement. Well, let me tell you why we anticipated this for <laughs> different reasons why we did the previous three. A Tribe Called Quest, the story of the group. And this is to me why they are one of the more interesting studies when it comes to a group and what they have meant to hip hop, what they've meant to each other and what they mean to their fans. From the beginning, Tribe fans have held a very deep connection to them. Even through the first album, People Instinctive Travels and the Pats of Rhythms, which was deemed a classic by some, and if not, at the minimum, a very, very solid debut. But when you get into the era of the low-end theory into Midnight Marauders, Tribe ascended to a level that I would say very few hip-hop groups could only dream of getting to. And the success from both of those albums, from not just the singles, but just the quality of both of those albums, and how they were universally respected in so many hip-hop circles, that it was like, oh my gosh, coming off of these two classics, where do you go next? 
Well, then the first Tribe Called Quest break happened and Ali went to go do production and also do some scoring and also producing for other artists. Fife took some time off to write for sports magazines and also do some sports commentary. And Q-Tip kind of took a little bit of time to work a little bit with other artists. This is when he, I guess, also then linked up with JD, a.k.a. J Dilla, to form the UMA, which would take a very heavy production approach in the next album which would be the fourth one, Beats, Rhymes, and Life, which came out in 1996. Well, by the time they reunited to record Beats, Rhymes, and Life, it seemed as though the cohesion was a little bit off as it's been reported by so many people now. As we've heard the story, that it felt like they were doing separate studio sessions and Fife felt he, like he was kind of left out because at that time, Q-Tip had converted to Islam and along with Ali Shahi Muhammad, he felt like he was sort of the odd man out being the only non-Muslim in the room. At that time, Q-Tip then also brought in his cousin Consequence to be a part of so much of the album. And it felt, in places, very promising and felt like Vintage Tribe. But in other parts, it felt very disjointed and a little bit incomplete. So while we were expecting, on the level of Low End Theory and also Midnight Marauders, we were left with something a little bit less than Still a very dope album, but just something less than what we were expecting because it was Tribe and we had expected so much excellence from them. Well, by the time the Love Movement came out in 1998, it had been well reported that Q-Tip and Fife in particular had lots of acrimony between each other. They really couldn't get together when it came to the whole recording thing. And there was a lot of talk that despite that their contract with Jive was not up yet, this would be the last album in the foreseeable future that the group would record together as a tribe called Quest. So many of us were anticipating that this would be the end. And for a lot of us, I would say half of us were optimistic that they were going to give it a good run for the last hurrah. And we were going to get somewhat close to what that level of low end theory and midnight marauders was. And some of us were kind of like, if the cohesion gets even worse on this, I'm afraid of what we might be left with. And that's what we were anticipating with the love movement. It's like, what kind of tribe album are we going to get? And is it going to be one that if it's the last one that they're going to regret? And thankfully for us, and unfortunately, they did end up putting out another album, which we know will be their last. But unfortunately, Fife was not alive to see it as he passed away in 2016 due to his complications with diabetes. And um, they were able to get an album out that had his voice on it and his participation. So we're thankful for that. And then it sort of cap it off with Brand Nubian. Well, with Brand Nubian, those of us had not known much about Brand Nubian in my generation during that time because we knew one album from them. And at that point, a lot of us were really young. And what we did know, though, for a good portion was parts of them. And that was Grand Pooba as a solo artist. So many of us were used to him featuring on artists' tracks, Mary J. Blige having his own solo career, solo albums. Also, Sadat X having his own solo album in 1996 and a little bit of Lord Jamar here and there. But we had never seen Brand New being together as a group. So for those of us who were a little young when One For All came out, we were able to see Brain Nubian come back together again and do it for the love. And they did have a moderate success in a single with Don't Let It Go To Your Head at that time. So to be quite honest, the Brain Nubian album was sort of just something that was an aside to everything else. Those four albums I mentioned right there, Aquemini, Most Devin Quality R, Volume 2, Hard Knock Life, and The Love Movement were the ones that we were all anticipating. And as we all said, it was a hard dilemma for a lot of us to go back and think, okay, what do we get? How are we going to work this out? How do we hear all of this without going broke? And we worked it out eventually. And the record store on that day, I will tell you, I went to the store 
and I bought Most Def and Quality R. And that was a, an album that I wanted to buy because that's the one that I think that I was anticipating the most that I knew that I wanted to personally get my hands on and get the first listen to. And when you went to the record store that day, I will say that by and large, the majority of people were there to buy Volume 2, Hard Knock Life, and Equemni. Those were by far the two that were the most popular were the ones who were standing in line during that day of September 29th, 1998. And it was a great record release day. And I will say this, for the most part, what we're looking at with at least three of these albums, we're looking at albums that have the potential of being classics. And with one of them, I say we have the potential of it being a dope album. And the other album is just kind of like, like I said, it's an aside, but the stories about each of those individual albums are coming a little bit later on in the vault. We want you all to stay tuned. We will have an individual review for three of these albums, and we'll also have a perspective on another one of these albums, and it will be something that will be a little bit sad in regards to what I thought about it when I finally heard it in 1998. But we will have individual reviews of Equemni, Most Def and Quality R, and Volume 2, Hard Knock Life. And because they were all on the same date, they will not all come out on the same day. They will be staggered. So make sure you guys stay tuned for what review is coming out next. But we want to hear from you all. What do you remember about September 29th, 1998? And what excited you the most about this day if you were outside and remembering that all these albums were coming out on the same day? What was the one that you preferred to buy? What were you most surprised by on of the album releases that we listed here? And what were you most disappointed by? Hit us up on social media, on Twitter, aka X, also on Facebook, on TikTok, and also on threads as well, and Instagram. Hit us up on there on social media. Let's have a talk about it. We love to continue the conversation. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you are visiting us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com. There you can learn more about the show, check out our past episodes, join our mailing list, leave a review. Or if so inclined, you can leave us a voice note. Click the blue microphone in the bottom right-hand corner to leave us a voice note to let us know what you think about the show or to just show us some love. To support the show, click the coffee cup shaded in yellow in the bottom left-hand corner to access our Buy Me A Coffee page. On Buy Me A Coffee, you can give a small monetary donation to support the show to ensure that we can keep the vault open for many years to come. You can also visit us on social media at Vault Classic Pod on IG, Twitter, and on TikTok. Also hit us on YouTube and our Facebook page. Like and follow us on social media. Subscribe to the pod and the YouTube channel. We do it here all for you. We appreciate the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure that that friend tells a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate, and elevate. Because you were never destined or created to stay stationary or ordinary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and visit us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com.